This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Hi, this is Bennett Kelly. Thanks for listening to Cyberlaw Business Report. Before you take a recess to hear the latest internet law news and commentary, you are hereby ordered to download the Webmaster Radio.fm mobile app for iPhone and Android. Okay. Maybe not ordered, but why not? You can listen live to my show and all our show hosts every day on our live stream or download past episodes with ease. So download the Webmaster Radio.fm mobile app in the iTunes store or in the Google Play store. It's an open and shut case. All rise. Welcome to the Cyber Law and Business Report. Get the top story on the hot-button Internet legal topics of the day. This is your home for the latest on Internet law and policy. Hear the latest net trends impacting business and have your questions answered right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report. Now, please welcome your host, the founder of the Internet Law Center, Bennett Kelly. Good morning. This is Bennett Kelly with the Internet Law Center here in sunny Santa Monica, California, the heart of Silicon Beach. Um, we have a very special show to you today, thanks to the uh, Miami International Book Fair, um, who was arranged to have some of their um, guests, on, their featured authors on our show as guests. And so today we're going to have Pulitzer Prize winning author Doris Kern Goodwin um, to talk about her new book, um, The Bully Book. And um, Goodwin is someone who worked with the Johnson administration um, when she was just finishing her Ph.D. and um, became Lyndon Johnson's biographer Um, and then um, wrote a series of books including um, No Ordinary Time, Franklin and Eleanor Roosevelt, um, The Homefront in World War II, uh, Wait Till Next Year, The Fitzgeralds and the Kennedys, Lyndon Johnson and the American Dream, and Team of Rivals, the political genius of Abraham Lincoln, which was formed the basis of um, the um, Steven Spielberg's movie that came out last year. So we're joined by her, but also um, lucky to have um, give a little um, balance here. We have Ralph um, Harrell, who is the um, chief political columnist for the Washington Times. And um, he's also just a, a great guy in general, but you know, he's been in Washington for a number of years, and he's um, been awarded Conservative Columnist of the Year. And so he's going to offer his perspective on that hallowed office um, that only 44 men in American history have held. And uh, so we're going to talk about the American presidency um, today on Cyber Law and Business Report, and we're going to start off with um, Doris Kearns Goodwin, who we're very pleased to have um, as a special guest, thanks to the uh, Miami Book Fair. You you mentioned in the book that this is something you started seven years ago, um, Bully Pulpit, and so that was in 2006 was the kind of the birth of this idea. That's right. I mean, I think what happened is after I finished Lincoln, and you're searching around for who else do I want to live with after having been with Lane for 10 years. <laughs> There's not a lot of, you know, chances to go back to Millard Fillmore <laughs> or Franklin Pierce. So I'd always been interested in Teddy Roosevelt. I had done a seminar on him four decades ago at Harvard. 
and the progressive era was one of my favorite eras, a time when the country really was trying to at least get closer to its old ideals. So I started with Teddy Roosevelt, and then it morphed into Taft, and it morphed into the Muckraker Journalist. As it, these books take on a life of their own as you go through it. I guess when I, when I was doing the time frame in my head, I was wondering if there was any external factors going on. You know, 2006 would have been the middle of the Bush administration, um, the election where the Democrats retook Congress. Was that at all a factor, or it was just more who do you want to live with? I think it started with who I wanted to live with. The interesting thing is that as I went along, the concerns of our era now have have become more replicative of what we were seeing at the turn of the 20th century. You know, a gap between the rich and the poor, the middle class struggling, big companies having so much control, and people feeling like the country needed to have some sort of progressive spirit to keep it going. But that wasn't quite as as evident. It, it, it was there, obviously, in 06, but it wasn't what originally I thought about, the, the idea that the time seemed familiar to the 1900s. That became much clearer as I got into it. That's interesting. Cause I was wondering if that, that's, that's what led to the choosing it. It's the, okay, let's take a look at the past to give an answer to the future. But that's always the case, I, I guess. No, I'd like to believe that. I mean, I think you know, if, if history means anything, it means that you can study the stories of the people who lived before us and learn, you know, from the struggles and triumphs, or you can look at another era, in this case, an era when at the start of it in the Gilded Age, it seemed like, you know, labor unions were diminished and, um, and the monopolies were growing and there was no chance of regulating anybody because the old guard Republicans had control of the Congress. And yet somehow this thing began bubbling up partly through the world of journalism, partly through Teddy Roosevelt's leadership, and then it spread to other aspects of society. You had settlement housework, you had churches that were involved in the progressive movement, schools became involved in it, and it was just one of those magic times when if I had to live in an era, I realized I would have wanted to live in that era. And I do think at the beginning it wasn't just Teddy that interested me, but the progressive era. If I had to find other times. I'd much rather be there during the New Deal or during the 60s and mm-hmm. or the progressive era than like 1920 or 1970 or 1980. Now, the, what's interesting about, you know, especially Roosevelt as, you know, um, coming immediately after what who the president, Karl Rove, um, modeled himself after most, um, McKinley, you know, that was their, <laughs> um, his ideal. And then you have juxtaposed to it, you have, I guess, the antithesis of everything he, you know, he's against. And, um, and so it's interesting that you, you, this is occurring during the Bush administration. But um, how did Roosevelt make such a break from his predecessor? Well, Clearly, an assassin's bullet had something to do with it. But. No, exactly so. And in fact, the reason that the you know, people in power, the Marcanas of the world, put him into the vice presidency was hoping to just keep him away from power. You know, they feared him more as a second-term governor in New York than as vice president. He himself felt like he had been shelved and was going to study law and thought his career was over until McKinley was shot. And, of course, he then becomes president. But he had realized, even as governor, that unless the Republican Party began to deal with some of the social problems of the era that the party itself would be doomed. And indeed, he thought the nation would be doomed if we ended up with two parties, one of which was representing the conservative property owners and the other, the wage workers and people who were more progressive. 
And so he saw the future in a certain sense. And also he was contending with socialism, which had become a stronger force then, so that he could argue to a center of the nation, you have to start taking these actions. If we do what McKinley and these others did, by just claiming that laissez-faire is a religious fervor, we are going to hurt ourselves and the country. Now, it's often said that you know, his cousin, Franklin Roosevelt, saved capitalism by you know, the, the measures taken during the Depression with the New Deal. Um, but it sounds like you're also saying that um, Theodore may have saved capitalism as well. You know, you're right. I hadn't thought about that's obviously that famous quote about FDR, but I think that's true. I mean, it was pretty turbulent at the turn of the century. I mean, the strikes that were going on in the 1890s were quite violent. Um, you know, labor was flexing its muscles and there were boycotts and, and there was, a, as I said, a fervor for socialism that was beginning to develop and there was a fear of a revolution against the rich. And by taking those actions that he did, by finally getting regulation of the railroads, by breaking up some of the trust, making things somewhat easier for women on the workplace, working with compensation, all of those measures which are the foundation of much bigger measures that will be taking place during the New Deal. But it's interesting to think about, which I hadn't until your question, if he hadn't been able to do that, if McKinley had stayed in power and then yet another McKinleyite was formed after that, then the pressure that was building up might well have produced somebody to really need to come in and save capitalism. And I think to some extent he took those first steps to protect capitalism himself before FDR did. Now, the, the, the title of your book, The Bully Pulpit, is really you know, stressing the importance of more or less developing a modern presidency in which the president can have power external from Congress and exert it um, on Congress that you know, I, you know, sometimes we really probably haven't seen done effectively maybe since Reagan. I think that's right. I mean, what he was arguing then, and he defined the word bull then meant of splendid or great. It didn't mean what we commonly think of now as intimidation of the weak in any way. And Pope meant that you had a moral effect on the country. You could educate the country and move it to go forward. And in his day, you could have his whole speech in the newspaper. People would commonly talk about it together. And then even by, obviously, FDR's time, you've got 80% of the adult radio audiences listening in full to his fireside chats. And even by the television era of FK up to Reagan, three networks, a president still has that power to project his desires in the country. Now with the fragmented news media, with people watching only their own cable stations and hearing maybe only excerpts of the speech and then having the pun stare it down before it even gets full or finished, um, I think the bully pulpit itself has been diminished in its power. Now, you worked in the, in the Johnson administration during the last year or so. And, I mean, can, it's hard to imagine what tumultuous era would have been like had there been 24-hour news coverage. Oh, that's uh, absolutely. I mean, think about the marches in the streets even then during the anti-war demonstrations and how close to violence many of those were. And they then, of course, would be reported in the Chicago Convention. But if there had been... You know, if there'd been Twitter, if there'd been Facebook, if there'd been phones that could take pictures of everything all along the way, the whole level of the, you know, of the of the clamor would have been so much greater. It, it's it's an extraordinary thought to think about it because even then, you know, you were beginning to have 
people able to come back at the president through outdoor media, but not anywhere near access they would have to this kind of media today. Right, but even Johnson was feeling the pressure, I mean, when he talked about losing Cronkite. And, that's um, right. I mean, that, that's right. That's the beginning. That's exactly right. I mean, when Cronkite on one of those three networks is able to talk about, you know, the fact that the country is getting to question the war, it spurred up what was already out there, a latent fear about the war. And also the Tet Offensive had had a big, big role to play right. in that as well. But that shows, that's right, that was, that was one of those critical moments. But there's one person, it's not amazing to think, who had that kind of, he had his own bully pulpit in a certain sense, Walter Cronkite did. Now it's almost like everybody has a megaphone and that even when a president tries to exert control over the message that he's delivering, other people contradict it within moments. Even when President Obama was giving his health care speech, and then Joe Wilson, that congressman, yelled out, you lie. So that becomes the story rather than the health care speech that year. Yes. Uh, a very shocking moment. Um, it turns out at the time I had an office in his district. And so I sent him a quote from Reagan that said, in politics, um, it's a good profession. You can do some good. Or if you embarrass yourself, you can always write a book. And I suggested he start writing his. But um, <laughs> the... Uh, um, I figured he appreciate the quote from Reagan. But um, so going back to um, your book, it emphasizes the role that Roosevelt had with McClure's. And, and, and was McClure's in some ways akin to a Cronkite or because it was more associated with the progressive movement, it was really just kind of more just a, a movement periodical? Well, you know, at the beginning, it, it didn't have as strong a an ideological fervor that it developed as time went on. So it really followed the movement of the country and led the movement of the country. It was well respected so that it's not like it was a partisan magazine because its articles were so well researched. They were many histories and they were almost impregnable from attack. People never questioned or rarely questioned the facts that they presented. So in that sense, it had the credibility of a Cronkite in a certain sense, because people, even if they didn't agree with what was being put forward in those stories, they had to admit that the stories themselves had their own internal integrity, and they still stand up over time. I mean, that's what's amazing. You read Ida Tarbell's Standard Oil expose or Ray Baker's expose about the railroads or Lincoln Steffen's about the corruption in the city, and they are lasting pieces of journalism over all these generations. So that gave it a believability and a, an honesty and an integrity, I think, that even though it was a progressive journalist, it, it had among the populace as a whole. And, and these led to you know, such monumental um, enactments as you know, the Sherman Act and, and the FTC Act. And um, that, actually, That's what's extraordinary. That's right. You get real legislation as a result of the stories becoming so public that people demand that something should be done. And what's interesting, um, you know, from our perspective, since we deal a lot with Internet issues, is that the, the FTC Act you know, governs um, anything that's unfair or deceptive in, in interstate commerce. And it, um, it celebrates its 100th anniversary next year. And it has been adaptable to maintain all and regulate, you know, the complex economy that has evolved um, far different from when it was first enacted. 
Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. It's, it's you know, when, well, even more stunningly when you think about the Constitution, you know, and the differences in the circumstances are just so wild from what it was the founders were creating. And yet sometimes there can be language or laws or amendments or original founding documents that are flexible enough that the later generations can still use them as a standard or a maxim, really, and then make it fit the, the needs of the time. Now, now, I know you only have a little bit of time. There are two areas I have to ask you about. Um, one is, I, one year I actually, I, I, I went to three presidential libraries one year. Um, it was the year of the Clinton okay. Library. It was fun. Um, you know, it was the Clinton Library opening, and then um, I was in Austin, so I went to the Johnson Library. And um, when my company had a party at the Reagan Library. So, you know, all within six months for each other. Plus, I grew up in New England, so I've been to the Kennedy Library a zillion times. And, um, but it struck me out in the Johnson Library. One, you know, historically, it, chronologically, it was built way before the, the IMP of presidential libraries. And so, you know, it wasn't uh, on that stature. But um, a couple of things struck me. One was the how small it was and that, you know, Kennedy had this vast monument to a thousand days and Johnson, the whole great society was on one single wall. And, um, and it just made me think about, you know, how, the legacy of Johnson and, and, you know, Democrats in general versus Republicans with Reagan and communicating that legacy. And I started thinking about that and then I got to the gift shop and there was only one grown up biography, which I believe was yours. <laughs> <laughs> and and, wow. and then some kids and then some kids biographies of Johnson and that was it. Whereas you know the the Kennedy Museum is like oh, a. Of course, I mean, there's I'm sure there were dozens. I mean, it's a really interesting question, I and mean, I think historically, history, historians are beginning to understand even more some of the lasting parts of LBJ's legacy. I mean, there's no question. There's three great civil rights laws ending segregation in the South, the Voting Rights Bill open housing, Medicare, aid to education. I mean, it, it's astonishing. If I mean, the big question, of course, had there not been Vietnam, he would have been one of the great presidents. And I think we took for granted some of that legislation after it was passed. But now looking back on it, it seems even more monumental than it did at the time. And people are beginning to recognize his extraordinary powers with the Congress and how he was able to get them to work on a bipartisan basis. So I think history will be kinder to him. There's a new play out called All the Way, that um, Brian Cranston from Breaking Bad plays LBJ yes. brilliantly. And it's just 1964, so it ends with his um, nomination, his election, but it's getting the Civil Rights Bill through the Congress. And it just brings him back to life again. So he's going to have a better run in history when some of the scars of the war in Vietnam, which may never be gone, but they will be less emotionally felt. And he deserves to have a better, a better remembrance. And also, I think part of the problem is the Johnson alumni are also Kennedy alumni, and I think they, you know, some of them may choose one over the other. It seems. Yeah, it was interesting though. We went um, last Saturday night to a a meeting of all the Kennedy people to celebrate the 50th anniversary at a White House staff Nancy Dutton's house, and Lin Linda Bird Johnson was there, and she actually sat next to me. And it was really nice because the Kennedy children spoke, Kathleen Kennedy and Teddy Kennedy Jr. And then she spoke as well about how obviously there have been all sorts of talk about the great tensions between the two. But in fact, she said they were both part of an era in the 60s when at least people were trying to deal with the government 
problems of the day and using government as a tool to help people toward more social justice. So it was a really quite moving moment at that t time to realize, yes, there are these huge tensions, but yet they were both part of an era that is so much better in some ways than the era that we're living in right now. Now, I used to work with Paul Warnke, who I don't know if you remember. Oh, of course uh, I know who he is, of course. And uh, he was a charming man. And I remember him telling me about seeing Babe Ruth at Fenway. And, oh, uh, wow. <laughs> and, yeah, I was enthralled. And, um, and I, I, I saw your interview on KTLA last week. And you talking about being there um, when you know when the Sox won last um, two a couple weeks ago, and um, and that you thought about the fact this hadn't happened since 1918, and that there probably weren't a lot of people around from then. And um, you know, for me, my father died in 2003, and so when the Sox won in 2004, you know, that was a, a, a big thing. And I remember reading the Boston Globe blog about you know all these people thinking about those who weren't there that oh, day yeah, going to grave sites and bringing some sort of memento to the to the parent or the grandparent who died absolutely and now is that still present you know now that this we have three world series out you know since this is the first one at home well i think the fact that this was the first one at home gave it an extra dimension that nothing will probably ever parallel 2004 after all those years of losing year after year after year at the last minute finally winning and winning over the Yankees in the way we did to get into the World Series. That's that nice was sleep. really special. But this one was almost as great because of being in Boston when it happened and because of being in the park that night, being able to sing with the people in your own hometown because of the marathon bombing thing having taken place. But there was a funny cartoon in a Boston paper the other day where it had somebody at a bar, downhearted, Red Sox hat on, Somebody went over and said, what's the matter? And he said, I'm feeling like a New York Yankee. <laughs> In other words, <laughs> lost its glory. I don't think it's losing its glory. I could, you know, I'd be glad to win every year. This summer was really special because this team was special. So was the 04 team. But they were really scrappy, you know, except for Big Poppy. They just, somebody came through every other night. And you really loved the team. And I promised myself they made me so happy all summer because they won so many games that I would wake up in the next morning happy, that I wasn't going to be upset if they didn't do well in the playoffs or the World Series. I'm not sure I kept that promise when I got nervous during the playoffs <laughs> and the World Series, but the whole summer was one of the happier baseball summers I've ever had. It was a, it was a great year, that's for sure. And um, I know you have to go, but I want to thank you very much. It's been an oh, honor I'm having so glad you we and could a pleasure this. talking thank to you. Thank you very much. You too, and I've been reading about you, so you're an interesting character. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Cheers and best of luck with your book tour. Thank you very much. Well, um, thanks again to Doris Kern-Gubin for um, being on the show, and thanks again for Miami Book Fair. You know, a couple of things that uh, we only had a little bit of time, and there were other things that I would have added, but I, I discovered an interesting quote by President Johnson, you know, her, who she worked with um, and was her biographer of. He, he said, being president is like being a jackass in a hailstorm. There's nothing to do but stand there and take it. And LBJ was, was famous for being blunt, but it kind of talked about um, just you can see the sense of what Johnson was going through. He was in a very difficult, tumultuous era, and I, I guess he felt limited in what he could do. But at the same time, I mean, if you look at his legislative achievements, it is, is monumental. Um, so Lyndon Johnson definitely is a giant in American history, and some may say that he saved, maybe saved us from a second civil war. But um, 
you ever do get the chance to in, in Austin, definitely go to the museum because it, it really is uh, something to see. I recall um, there's, a, there's a note from Jackie Kennedy to the, the President Johnson written the day after the assassination, just thanking him for his courtesy. Um, and then you know, the other thing is you know, the Civil Rights Act of 1964. You know, we know that happened. and We know what happened in 1964, but we forget it happened in January of 64. And um, there's a picture of the, the signing at that moment. And this is only two months after President Kennedy was killed. And you can see Bobby Kennedy in the audience looking like a ghost. Um, so there's a lot of value to going to these presidential libraries. And you can learn a lot. You get a lot of insight beyond the history books. You get a sense of what the times were like. But um, there were some other things that I would have asked her about um, you know, it's going to be interesting as going forward. Um, you know, will it be harder to record presidential um, biographies? We have given that we no longer write the long letters. We don't. We don't necessarily have. Will we have the extensive um, papers to to review? Um, and especially since you know, will will all this be cataloged? You know, what happens to people's emails and thoughts? And um, so it's going to be interesting to see how um, presidents deal. Um, how we deal with that in the future. The other thing is, I was kind of wondering what her thoughts were about the various presidential rankings and you know how legitimate they are. Um, you, you see a lot, you know, some you see some consistency among academics, both here and abroad, over who's considered some of the top and who's considered some of the worst. And um, you know, so I don't know what her thought, thoughts were on that. You know, Roosevelt is, is an interesting character. But the one thing I thought about also was that history tends to focus on, you know, the the, the presidents who are giants, and uh, you know, and those usually are two-term presidents for good reason, and um, or you know, one and a half-term presidents because of you know, an assassination, as was the case in Johnson. And what about you know the other presidents, you know, the Jimmy Carters, the you know the George H. W. Bushes, the Fords. Um, or even you know, I know Truman's got a lot of attention, but you know he was kind of a one-term plus. Um, what about them, and what can we learn from them? And especially since, you know, to a certain extent, they are, they're considered failures by by some in history. And so, you know, what can we glean from that failure? Um, you know, there are some people, you know, and actually our next guest is probably going to talk a little bit about you know the Carter administration and and to what extent you know, maybe he is underrated. And I think the, the the question, and I'm going to talk to Ralph uh, in the second segment about that, is really um, the issue of legacies. And what is the role of, of, of a party in, in promoting and preserving that legacy? You know, I, I joke about you know, the Republicans and, and they were um, you know, zealous and you know, almost admirable uh, at you know, adherence to promoting Reagan whenever they get a chance. I mean, they've done, they named everything after him except days of the week. And <laughs> I probably shouldn't say that since, um, you know, that, that may, um, you know, that may, uh, give them an idea that they haven't had. But, um, so, but, you know, the Democrats, I don't think seem to do as good a job. And maybe it's because, you know, the, the presidents ended with the part, the presidencies ended with the parties fractured. You had Johnson with the war with Bobby Kennedy. You had, um, you know, um, Carter with the war with Ted Kennedy. And, uh, and so maybe it's just presidents that have problems with Kennedys that Democrats have problems with. But, um, <laughs> Oh, Ben, I just wanted to go and jump in real quick and just mention 
for those that if they want to go, if they're in South Florida, then our area anyway, that want to go ahead and meet and get to see Doris speaking at the Miami Book Fair. I just want to make another mention of, of course, you know, promotion here. Uh, Please, she'll what, be speaking when is that? November 24th. So that's um, next Sunday, correct? Or let's be uh, November 24th. And that's at 1.30 p.m., and she'll be at the Miami Book Fair 2013. You can find out more information at MiamiBookFair.com. And if you go to her website, which is just DinkThisDorisGoodwin.com, yeah. it has um, – um, so I'm sorry, DorisKernsGoodwin.com. You know, it has her whole book tour, and it has, also has a number of um, interviews that she's had uh, on TV interviews on on this, and um, including the Daily Show, which was yesterday or the day before. Yeah. Um, but the one to look at actually, there's a CBS Sunday Morning Show, and it talks about how she got involved with Johnson. And it was interesting because she had actually, before getting hired, she had actually written a piece in the New Republic about how the Democrats can can dump Johnson and, and go with another candidate. <laughs> not a good way, not a good, she didn't necessarily start off on the best foot with Johnson, but, you know, he ultimately trusted her and made her his biographer. And um, so, um, I don't know, if you're listening, President Clinton, I, I'm sure I, I think I can try to come up with something. But, <laughs> but um, you know, it's definitely, it's, it was a great interview that she did there. And so definitely check her out. But yeah, please, if you see, these people are a great, great person. She's a, a wonderful woman, great personality, and, and just, you know, um, you know, sharp as a razor. And uh, I would definitely encourage you to see her. She is a wealth of knowledge on the subject of presidencies. And Red Sox baseball. And Reds, yes, and actually, she was the <laughs> first woman, female reporter in in the locker room of, of Fenway Park. So, um, yes, yeah, yeah, she's a diehard and a season ticket holder, which is actually you know something very hard to come by these days. And uh, so, it's definitely uh, yes, it's been a great time for uh, uh, those of us in Red Sox Nation, and uh, we've been very blessed. And uh, you know, so my hearts go out to whoever is now the the Red Sox of baseball or sports. I don't know who, if it's the Cubs or um, the difference between the Red Sox and the Cubs. I think is that the Red Sox will you know, the Red Sox won, but they just you know never quite got the the championship. You know, they they always tended to lose tragically. It was almost Shakespearean or you know some something out of Greek um, mythology, and, and and so maybe there really isn't another Red Sox team out there that, of that history. But um, you know the, the Braves have had some collapses, and um, maybe the Indians. You know they they almost won once or twice. So. Um, yes, but it's been a, it's a fun time, and uh, um, she's very interesting. And um, so, also the other thing I'd recommend is look at you know, look look around you. Know, depending on where you live, you may have a presidential library near you. you know, if you're in the South, you have Jimmy Carter's, and also you have the the Bush libraries in Texas. Um, if you're in the Northeast, obviously there's the Kennedy libraries. If you're in the West, you have Nixon's library. Um, and um, in the Midwest, you have Truman's Library and probably Eisenhower's as well. I forget where his is located. So um, they're great places to visit and learn a lot. Come back, we'll have Ralph Hollow, and he is the chief political columnist with the Washington Times and himself uh, an author on uh, presidential races. Um, so we'll be back with Ralph Hollow after these messages. Stay tuned for more of the Cyber Law and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. 
If you're constantly struggling to find more customers, revenue, or hours in the day, Infusionsoft can help you have the business you've always wanted. For over 10 years, Infusionsoft has been helping business owners just like you find the financial freedom and peace of mind you've been searching for. I'm Scott Martineau, co-founder of Infusionsoft. If you're struggling to find more customers, more revenue, or more hours in the day, Infusionsoft is the proven solution you're looking for. Infusionsoft, the only all-in-one sales and marketing software created specifically for small businesses. Learn more at www.infusionsoft.com slash radio. IRN USA Sports. I'm Jet Williams. LeBron James running wide hot. LeBron James, 33 points in just three quarters. He watched the rest of the game during the fourth quarter from the bench. The Heat burned the Bucks 118-95 in South Beach. Elsewhere, the Mavericks dribble past the Wizards 105-95. Warriors take the spark out of the Pistons, 113.95. The Lakers, Sands Kobe. Building better search engine rankings takes the right formula. Tracking those rankings is super simple. All you need is authoritylabs.com. Authority Labs uses automated daily rank tracking tools to monitor your site's performance or leverage their API to build your own tools. No matter what animal-labeled algorithms affect your ranking, you should be using Authority Labs. Unlimited users for no additional cost and white labeling can help keep your clients updated and save countless hours of creating reports. Whether you're running sites with just a few or millions of keywords, what you need is authoritylabs.com. Guys, are you suffering from FD, fulfillment dysfunction? Let MoldingBox.com's online portal system for inventory, tracking, and returns perform for you. We have the enormous tools you need for complete warehousing, shipping, and handling of all your packages, no matter the size or shape, directly to your customers. MoldingBox.com can also fulfill all your nourishing, nutraceutical, and smooth skincare product desires, including green coffee and Garcinia on demand. Plus, let our in-house printing and CD DVD manufacturing help you enlarge and maximize your coaching and business opportunity potential. We do everything. Fulfillment, shipping, tracking, inside and out, and all in one place. Moldingbox.com. It's shipping made sexy. Hold on to your white hat or black hat. WebmasterRadio.fm is ready to take you behind the backlinks. We're digging and scraping past the surface of everyday news and views of search engine marketing and dropping our proverbial anchor text on the important issues affecting the industry with our panel of search engine insiders. Behind the Backlinks. Tuesdays at 5 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Pacific. On demand, anytime, inside the search engine optimization channel. Only on webmasterradio.fm. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report, only on webmasterradio.fm. And we're back. This is Bennett Kelly with Cyber Law and Business Report. And I recognize that you know the title of the show is Cyber Law and Business Report, but um, we, were, we were given a special bounty um, with the help of the Miami Book Fair and getting a store's current good win. So we thought we'd pair the show with um, another kind of um, presidential observer and if someone of a similar statue. And we have Ralph Hollow, who is the chief political columnist for the Washington Times. 
and um, it has been named Conservative Columnist of the Year, and who I um, is, is famous for doing um, you know short distance races in Albuquerque. But um, Ralph, are you with us? <laughs> yes, I'm. I'm in Albuquerque. <laughs> My race is over. Okay, I can talk. <laughs> what? What an so, Never in my life. By the way, where is Albuquerque? Albuquerque. It's the airport um, but below Santa Fe. Ah, oh, yes. Uh, okay. All right. So, listen, your first question. Who am I speaking with again? This is Bennett. <laughs> <laughs> well, we all have our crosses to bear. Anyhow, your first question to me, Mr. Bennett. Yes, my first question to you is, um, Ralph, first of all, welcome to the show. And uh, we were Thank talking you. with Doris Kearns Goodwin, and, and off the air, you, know, you, um, you were talking about presidents, and you had some, you had some insights about Jimmy Carter. And um, would you like to yeah. tell us about what you think about Jimmy Carter and how you know, he, he's kind of ignored? Yeah, he is. I mean, <laughs> Republicans dismiss Carter as this uh, wimpy liberal who never did anything right. Democrats don't even talk about him. I mean, right. it, it's the weirdest thing. And he, his his presidency was was significant in a number of ways. He accomplished a lot, but some of the most important things he accomplished aren't in the Democratic Party's um, uh, pantheon of great ideas. Uh, he did more for the deregulation of uh, energy, for example, than any president ever in the history of this country. He did more for the deregulation of airlines than sure. any president, than any other president. For trucking, in a sense, he was the free market president. It's the weirdest thing. I'm talking with him one morning at breakfast, and I say, you know, uh, Mr. President, this is long after he was president. Uh, how how come you never take credit for the for the magnificent deregulation that you effected as president? And he he squirmed. He didn't want to talk about it. Wow. It's as if it's. I was I, you know I was saying that if that uh, Mr. Carter, you know this is what this is the hallmark of your presidency. People have been talking about the stupidity of overregulation in the United States, that there is no competition, monopolies in all of these industries, the airlines, everything. And, uh, and you, and you, you actually did something about it. I don't understand why you don't want to talk about it. And he, he, he must have tried five times to change the subject. I, huh. And I remember that somebody told me. Uh, a, uh, a a knowledgeable, very knowledgeable Democrat told me that the problem was that uh, it was uh, uh, Ted Kennedy. Uh, yes, his problem was with Ted Kennedy, and Ted, Ted Kennedy was. I don't. I I think most people don't even know this. Ted Ken, Kennedy's had a had a lot of front groups that yes. were designed, dedicated to deregulation, deregulating this, deregulating that, and. Some not terribly well-informed liberals think, well, that's that's conservative. That's not liberal. Well, it's neither liberal nor conservative. It's just common sense, right? Uh, and, but but since these were 
these are Kennedy operations. Uh, Carter doesn't want to talk about them. Now, there's a lot of things I don't know that go on on this planet, and even more things I don't understand. But that one I I really don't understand. What? Why would? Why would Carter not want to talk about his signal achievements in this area just because they were associated with with uh, Ted Kennedy? And by the way, nobody associates him with Kennedy. You know, right? That's Bennett, but very very few people. Other people know, right? And it's interesting because you know I was very much involved in that that um, that whole Kennedy Carter war. Um, you know, I, I remember the, I was counting down the days in November until Kennedy announced in nineteen in, in nineteen ninety excuse me nineteen seventy seventy nine. I got ahead of myself and um, and you know actually volunteered as part of the Kennedy campaign and you know I was staunchly anti Carter. And you know, and then I, I came to Washington after Reagan won, and I had all that time period to reflect on maybe the wisdom of being so anti-Carter during that era. And I'm also just the just because um, I mentioned the quote off the year about being president is like being a jackass in a hailstorm. There's nothing to do but stand there and take it. From you know, Johnson said that, and how in some ways you know Carter Carter very much resembled that. Because I mean, some of the things really weren't in his control. I mean, it, you know, the hostage crisis, for example, or you know, the oil shocks from the embargo, um, or even you know, the ripple effects from the you know, ending um, wage and price controls from the Nixon administration. You know, it seemed that he, he kind of just walked into a storm, and maybe maybe the problem was is he wasn't. I you know, I believe in some countries they have parliamentary systems, they have a president and a prime minister. And um, you know the prime minister is the ceremonial. I mean, excuse me, the president is the ceremonial head, and the prime minister is the legislative head. And you know, in terms of an American example, Reagan was a master president in in the prime minister type of analogy. And um, Carter never understood that second role. And maybe had he done that better, he would have weathered the storm, and it not seemed so much like a jackass. <laughs> yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right on that. But I also think that. Among the presidents who were, you know, in that that hall of greatness, uh, Reagan ranks way up there. Everybody did, but he, there was no, there is no such Reagan. There was the Reagan that has been put on that pedestal never existed. Right, just he, like the Kennedy on the other side. Yes, yes, right. Except that that Kennedy is is credited with fewer achievements simply because. He wasn't in office that long. I mean, it, right. one of his one of his uh, great achievements people talk about legitimately was his uh, across the board tax cut, uh, and which uh, w- which was followed by economic growth. Uh, and so people say that that's what caused it, and, and it probably did because you know this is economics is not a science. It's probably true, but that's a, you know, about it. I mean the the. Uh, the crisis over the missiles in Cuba, uh, ultimately, I think, was most people would agree was handled very well. Uh, I, th- I think it was genius. But other than that, there wasn't much to the Kennedy uh, first term. Uh, the, well, a thousand days. First term. Yes. Yeah. Yes. But but Reagan served two terms. Yes. And he, yeah, you ask your average citizen, or particularly a Republican, what was great about Reagan? One of the first things uh, an informed person would tell you as well, his first year in office, 1981, 
he got through Congress and signed the most sweeping tax cut in the history of America, 25% across the board, income tax, uh, uh-huh. business tax, everything, 25% over three years. Uh, and then in his second term, first year of his second term, he got through the most sweeping tax reform in American history. where He reduced uh, that act, legislation reduced the number of tax brackets depending on how you cut it, they were either 18 or 22 to two. Yes. That was incredible. Absolutely incredible. That's fine. But people don't remember that he authored, he signed, and was really a part of behind the scenes, the largest tax increase in the history of America. It remains, Bennett. It remains the largest, adjusted for inflation. Yes, yes. Uh, Yeah. So Ironic. Reagan did a lot of strange things. I mean, he did good things and he did bad things from a perspective, let's say from a better conservative perspective. So what, what American conservatives understandably remember is the good, from their point of view, the good stuff. And exactly. The, the bad stuff has disappeared from the brain cell. Well, we're going to take a short break. Nature. Ralph, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, I want to talk about the you know, the promotion of the Reagan legacy and whether Democrats are... are are honors good at um, promoting their own heroes? Um, so we've, after these messages, we'll be back with Ralph Hollow, the chief political columnist for the Washington Times. Stay tuned for more of the Cyber Law and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. I'm John Ball, and I'm one of the founders of Page One Power. Page One Power is a custom link building firm based in Boise, Idaho. We increase search rankings and web traffic for world-class brands and mom-and-pop shops all around the globe. Our link building strategies work because we focus on relevancy and quality, and we don't outsource anything. Our in-house staff of professional writers and researchers is the best in the industry. We're the link builders you've been looking for. Visit us today at pageonepower.com. Ever wondered how you could have access to your own SEO expert, paid search specialist, or social media wizard? Looking for help with your affiliate, display media, or email marketing? Look no further than the folks at Fang Digital Marketing. Fang Digital specializes in both paid and organic search, social media, display, and mobile advertising solutions, and is staffed by industry veterans from Google, Yahoo, and one of the industry's most influential PPC experts. Fang Digital's award-winning staff stays on top of the latest digital trends and offer tailored solutions so they can audit your progress and build a roadmap to your success. Learn more about their expanding range of full-service strategic marketing solutions at fangdigital.com. That's F-A-N-G digital.com. Oh, yeah. My day is done. Time for happy hour. You're already done for the day? Yeah, because I use certifiedknowledge.org. Their PPC tools literally save me hours every day. How do you keep on top of all of Google's new features? Easy. With Certified Knowledge, their interactive learning modules keep me up to date. And if there's something I don't know, I can watch their video lessons without having to hunt around the Google help files. Great. I'm ready to expand my knowledge. Hi, I'm Brett Geddes. I'm the only leader officially supported by Google to teach the advanced track of the AdWords Seminars for Success. I personally recommend CertifiedKnowledge.org as your one-stop shop for all your PPC needs. Learn. Optimize. Connect. Be smart. Go to CertifiedKnowledge.org now. Your mission. Initiate internet marketing measures. Your arsenal. The weapons of mass marketing. 
weapons of mass marketing. On demand anytime inside the Internet Marketing Channel. Only on WebmasterRadio.fm. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report. Only on WebmasterRadio.fm. And we're back, and we're talking to Ralph Hollow. He's the chief political columnist of the Washington Times. And, um, Ralph, you were talking about Reagan and how you know, it's, you know, he still has the largest tax increase in history. And it's interesting because I understand that Obama apparently has the largest tax cut in history. And so would you be, you know, the, again, both perceptions the exact opposite of what people think. Now, um, Reagan, the Republicans do a great job about promoting Reagan. Now, how would you um, – Consider how about the Democrats do with their heroes? Do you think it's they it, maybe it's because their heroes are flawed? They don't promote them as well, or no? I don't think it has anything to do with the flaws. There is there is no administration in the history of the planet anywhere, not just the United States, that wasn't highly flawed. Uh, well, maybe William <laughs> Benjamin Harrison, right? <laughs> yeah. Or some. Somebody on the, on Facebook that said, uh, "Well, of course, uh, you're not considering uh, President McKenzie. Uh, he was assassinated." <laughs> President who? <laughs> I think he met McKenzie. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, they say American education has its imperfections. I guess so. Uh, <laughs> no, every uh, administrations are people with people. Yes. People have human nature. Human nature is flawed. But I think the the the, the best job in in modern history of promoting the image of a president was uh, John F. Kennedy. Uh, yes. The Kennedy family did an absolutely marvelous job. Now they were working with someone who was exceptionally attractive uh, as a as a person, a, you know, a man who had everything going, <laughs> photogenic. Charm coming, oozing out of every pore, uh, sense of humor. He had everything. He had a gorgeous wife with real class. You, I mean, what, what more could you ask? And he was a smart guy. So if you listen, if you remember, you're probably too young. But his press conferences were things that I rushed to the radio or the TV to hear. Simply because they were so good. I mean, he actually made a press conference fascinating. Now, you, you tell I, me another I, president. You, you can't. No. I mean, I've seen yeah. his press conferences at the, at the library, and, and they're funny. I mean, I remember one line about, you know, uh, would you rec- do you recommend a job to others? <laughs> and, and, of course, he said no. Just quick on the update, damn it. He was so uh, – and, you know, and yet we all know his flaws. Uh, yes. So, so the answer to your question is: Do Demo- the question is, do Democrats promote their presidents as well as Republicans promote their presidents? It really does depend on the president. Johnson, um, during his presidency, for a while was over promoted, and he wound up being the being hated by or strongly disliked. Hate Patrons of this stuff, strongly disliked by Democrats, right. by liberals. Um, I remember covering, geez, this is a long time ago, I, I, I covered some uh, convention, state party convention, Democratic convention somewhere. Uh, 
maybe I forget when. And uh, I noted that Lyndon Johnson, who was president, Lyndon Johnson's name was not mentioned once. This is a state party convention, perhaps Pennsylvania. Uh, and I, I remember I did a piece for uh, Time or Newsweek, I forget which, which I noted that this is probably a sign of something to come, that the president of the United States is not mentioned by people in his own party at a state party convention. Well, it wasn't too long after that that uh, Johnson let us know that he wasn't going to seek the second term. Right. Uh, so there wasn't much you could do with Johnson. Um, we, we've already talked about uh, Jimmy Carter. Uh, Bill Clinton, I don't know. Could, uh, let me ask you, if you don't mind if I ask you the, the oh, please. question, right? Okay, please. Well, how do you, how do you feel uh, Bill Clinton got uh, was did he get adequate promotion? Do you think did he get adequate promotion? Um, you know I you know I would like to see you know, if just as you know I fly into Washington and I fly into Reagan National Airport. I mean I would like to see a, a Clinton Airport, um, and you know I'd like to I'd like to see him promoted more. I mean granted yes I was really furious about Monica Lewinsky but you know, I'm balanced yeah I thought he was a great president. And, um, yeah, yeah, that's not what I mean. Is it? Yeah, I mean, he's going to be Republicans and Democrats and independents uh, are beginning to recognize his presidency as overall a pretty good one. Um, and I, as the years pass, that will be increasingly the case, I, I predict. Um, he did screw himself up badly. Um, that was not an accidental word choice. Um, Right, <laughs> he, uh, uh, because he got uh, because he got involved with Lewinsky and, and had all these sex scandals, uh, all of which was decided. But as far as I'm concerned, beside uh, the point, what did he do in the White House that uh, related to uh, the, uh, the American economic and political system and American foreign policy? That he did some stupid things, and he did a, a lot of good things. Um, and he, I think he is responsible for the longest sustained economic expansion in our history. Reagan is credited with that normally, but I think right. uh, I think it is. Well, I think uh, it's at least post-war. I'm not sure if it's our history, but yeah. But well, we only okay. have a, right. we only have a few minutes left, Ralph. So if people wanted to look you up and read your your, your, your brilliant insight, where should they go? They should go see, see me in uh, the hospital, which is where I think I'm headed. Andy, it's really, really, really lousy. Uh, okay, the, the way to go is uh, uh, WashingtonTimes.com. Or more directly, uh, type in, in your subject line on your computer, Ralph Z is in Zachary Hallow, H-A-L-L-O-W. And billions and billions of uh, citations will come up, uh, and you and you could type in something that's current. You know, if if everybody's talking about Benghazi, type in that. You know, the usual kind of thing you do uh, when you Google. 
By, by the way, Google is a legitimate verb now. So just, it is. It is. I think it's, it's in the, uh, the OED. But we got to run, Ralph. Yeah. I want to thank you very much. I appreciate you jumping on and being a good sport and uh, give my best to Millie. And uh, as always, thanks again. Um, and I want to thank the listeners for our special presidential edition um, and also to Miami Book Fair for all their help in, in getting this together. So um, join us next week for Cyberlong Business Report. Court is adjourned. Have a great week. This has been a presentation of WebmasterRadio.fm, the world's largest business-to-business radio and podcast network. We welcome you to sample past episodes of this program, as well as our complete library of programs, on demand or on the air via our 24-7 live audio stream at www.WebmasterRadio.fm. The opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of WebmasterRadio.fm's management or sponsors. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without authorized consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors, and add blocks. No custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise, and with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.